Mark chapter four, if you will, we're gonna be in verses one through 20. I heard a, uh, a car salesman tell this story of a couple that comes into his dealership and uh, it's, a, it's a relatively um, obvious situation. You've got a much older man with a woman who looks about half his age. They're newlyweds and it's a BMW dealership and, and you can, you can kind of, you can pay, fill in the, the gaps, right? With what's going on here. And, uh, the, the young bride has picked out the BMW that she wants and that she's fired up about and that she's excited about. And now it's time for the husband and the salesman to negotiate. And so they're at the negotiating table. They're going back and forth, back and forth. And they're, they're not able to quite get to a price that works for, for both of them. And, uh, and the, the, the husband kind of exasperated. He goes, listen, I can go down to the Kia dealership down the street, get their top of the line model fully loaded with all the extras for half of this price. The car salesman says, okay, I understand that, sir. And he just stops talking for a minute and he looks over at the young bride and he says, that is a beautiful ring that you've got on. And as you know, any newlywed, when someone comments on their ring, what do they do? Out it goes, right? Are you ready to show it off? And so she starts showing off the ring and so the salesman oohs and ahs over, says, it's so beautiful, love the way the color refracts, it's amazing. It's cubic zirconia, isn't it? And she, she, she's indignant. Well, no, she looks over at her husband. It's not, it's real. Tell him it's real. And the salesman goes, well, I just figured you're trying to save some money on the car. You probably did the same with the ring. He said, I sold that car right then and there to that man for the price that I wanted to sell it to. So he'd hurt his pride, hurt this woman's pride, and was a jerk in the process. No offense to car salesmen, not all of you are like that, but... Yikes. What set that woman off and that man off was the idea that her diamond wasn't the real thing, right? That it wasn't the genuine article, that it wasn't authentic, that it was a copycat. And in our text today, we're going to see a test that Jesus gives us, that Jesus shows us for how we can know that our faith is the genuine article as well. That's an that's a answer to a question that we all have, isn't it? Like, if we're honest, like deep down in our hearts, we want to know that our faith is real. That, that this, this thing that we're spending our time on and giving our lives to, that, that it's genuine. It's going to pay off in the end that our faith is authentic. And today's help, test, today's text gives us a test to help see the difference between real faith and artificial faith. And so we're going to read Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. We'll pray, and then we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. So join me. Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, reads this way. It says, again... Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and they devoured it. Other seed, it says, fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was, rose, it was scorched, since it had no root. It withered away. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and they produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. 
But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the, so- the, the word that is sown in them. Verse 16, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Verse 18, others are the ones who are sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, and they choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've shown us what real faith looks like. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate real faith in our hearts. As we hear from your word this morning, as these seeds are sown in our hearts, would we be like the good soil where the seed plants deep roots, grows, and bears fruit in abundance in our lives? Help that be the case by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the fun things about working through a book in order, verse by verse, is you kind of get to feel the context. And so keep in mind, we are continuing this conversation in verse 4 that we were having last week in, in chapter 3. Chapter 4 is just it's coming right on the heels of that conversation about who is in the kingdom and who is out. You'll remember we talked about four different types of people and their response to the message of the gospel. And here Jesus gives his own four categories of people and how they react and respond to the gospel, the message that he is bringing, the message that he's proclaiming. You remember, he's proclaiming a message about a new kingdom. He's saying, hey, things are different. There's a new way of relating to God. There's a new way of getting to God than there used to be. There's a new definition of God's kingdom and a new way that you come in to that kingdom. And he's speaking these parables, this parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, whatever you want to call it, is, is Jesus explaining, hey, this new message of the kingdom This is what I'm talking about, this word that he's talking about, these seeds that he's sowing. This is the message. And this message of the kingdom is is still being proclaimed today, isn't it? It's what we proclaim here as a church. It's what the Bible proclaims to us today. We're early here in Mark chapter 4 in the story of Jesus, but we're going to see as we continue, Jesus is going to continue to live his life. He's going to continue to teach and preach and explain what the kingdom is like and how you enter into it and who's in and who's out. He's going to continue to heal and do miracles. He's going to walk on water. He's going to raise people from the dead. And he's going to continue to antagonize and poke at the religious leaders of the day who thought they had the secret to the kingdom. And at the end of his life, Jesus is going to have frustrated those religious leaders so much that they're going to be fed up with it that they're going to have him arrested. They're going to have him arrested and they're going to have him beaten within an inch of his life. And then they're going to nail him with some big, rough nails to a piece of wood outside the city, where there he's going to hang from his hands and his feet, and he's going to hang there until he suffocates and dies. And to make sure that he's dead, they're going to run a spear through his side, and you're going to see blood and water pour out all over the ground to verify for everyone that this Jesus is dead. 
And this message of the kingdom says that if we believe that that Jesus on the cross is there in our place, that it should have been us on the cross instead of him, the Bible says that blood that flows from his body pays the price for the sins that you and I commit. That's good news, but it gets better. They're going to take his body, you see, we'll, we'll read, and they're going to pull it down from the cross, and they're going to hastily prepare it for burial, and they're going to put it in a tomb. Then they're going to seal that tomb with a huge rock, and they're going to station a Roman guard there to make sure that nobody comes and steals the body. But three days later, guess what's going to happen? Jesus is going to walk out of that grave alive. The Bible's going to go on to say that that same Jesus who walked out of the grave alive is then going to appear to hundreds of his disciples, and then he's going to, in their sight, ascend to heaven. Just be gone from their very eyes. The Bible teaches us that he sits there at this very moment, interceding on our behalf as a, as a go-between between us and God. And this message of the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming is that he is the way into the kingdom. That the only way to get into God's kingdom is by putting your faith in that Jesus on a cross and that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And that if we'll do that, we will secure for ourselves an eternity in God's kingdom in heaven. That's good news, church. The Bible says the key to all of this is our faith. That we believe. That we genuinely believe. That we put our faith and hope in this gospel, this good news, this message. And today's passage is going to walk us through four people's reaction to that gospel, to that message. And in it, we're going to see how a person responds to that message reveals the genuineness or the inauthenticity of someone's faith. The main idea of today's uh, time together is this, is that lasting faith proves or lasting fruit proves genuine faith. Lasting fruit proves genuine faith. So we're going to do two things. We're going to look at the types of hearts that Jesus explains to us here, and then we're going to talk about how we can ensure that we have a faith that lasts. So Jesus explains to us four types of hearts, doesn't he? He walks us through four types of soils, four types of heart conditions, and the first one he talks about are what we can call hard hearts. Hard hearts. We read this in verse 4. It says, As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And this is one of the few passages where the preacher's job is much easier because Jesus explains what the passage means a few verses later. And so you can skip down in verse 15 and see that Jesus explains it this way. He says, These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown in them. When you walk on a path, the ground is compact, it's hardened, right? If you're walking a, a path in the woods or a path in a field, you'll find that a well-traveled road or path, the ground is compact. And it's tough to penetrate soil that's compact like that. And so when the word is sown on a hard surface like a path, it doesn't take root. It doesn't go into the soil, it doesn't germinate, it doesn't grow up. And so Jesus is saying, these are the people who, when they hear this message of the gospel, when they hear what Jesus has done for them, when they hear that, they reject it. They say, no, you're not coming in here. I hear what you're saying, I understand what you're saying, I just don't believe what you're saying. This is hard-hearted people who say, no, this is not for me, I don't believe, I push this away. These are people that we need to pray for, these are people that, uh, that, that is making the worst decision they're possibly, they possibly could in their entire life. They're people who simply choose not to believe, and they need a, a miracle of the Lord to penetrate hard hearts. Luckily, our Lord can do that, can he? 
Our Lord knows how to till the soil. Our, our Lord knows how to soften people's hearts. Our Lord knows how to use circumstances of life and difficulties and pains to kind of churn that soil a little bit and create some room for the seed to get in. That's what we pray for. The second type of heart Jesus identifies is what we could call rocky hearts. Rocky hearts, not like the boxer, but like rocks, okay? Verse 5, it says, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Verses 16 and 17, Jesus' explanation of this. He says, these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The problem with rocky soil is that the plant can't take deep root. There's a little bit of level of topsoil, but when you get past that initial layer, you start to hit the rocks and the stones. And this is common actually in the area where Jesus is ministering now. The soil is oftentimes like this. The root system, as you know or may not know, it draws nutrients from the soil. It draws moisture from the soil. And all the things that a plant needs to grow comes from its roots system. But as the roots of this plant reach down for those nutrients, down for that moisture, they can't find it because of the rocks that are blocking the way. And so they have a very small root structure. They have a very unstable base, if you will, right? They do see some growth. What happens? It says when the sun comes out, when it gets warm, it begins to scorch the plant. And because it doesn't have the root system it needs, it can't withstand the heat, these are people, Jesus is telling us, who receive the message of the gospel. They hear it. They go, I believe that. I'm in. They begin to show some enthusiasm, some excitement in their face, and maybe make some changes in their lives. They want to get involved in their church. Perhaps they have to be baptized, something like that. But the foundation, what's going on under the surface, is lacking. It's not strong enough. They have only a superficial commitment to Jesus, and so when the heat is on, they shrink away. These are people, for example, that are forced to give up friends because of their faith, and they're forced to choose between their friends or their Jesus, and they go, that's too hard of a choice. I'm going back to my friends. These are the people that maybe when it comes to deciding if they're going to kind of go along with the, their boss's questionable ethics in order to get a promotion, or they're going to stand by Jesus and their convictions, they're going to choose the broad path, and they're going to compromise their faith. Or maybe this is the person who, when they're mocked or they're ridiculed for their faith, maybe by a family member or someone close to them, they decide that's not worth it to me. It's not worth being mocked and ridiculed for my faith. I give up. I'm out. Any tribulation or persecution, this text says, on account of being a Christian, on account of this message, when it comes their way, they're out. In other words, when being a Christian costs them something, they no longer want to be a Christian. And so they bail on the faith. The next set of hearts Jesus talks about are what we could call thorny hearts. Thorny hearts. It says in verse 7, other seeds they fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and they choked it, and they yield no grain. Jesus explains in verse 18, the others who are, thrown, who are sown among the thorns, these are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word. 
and it proves unfruitful. These seeds get planted, they find good soil, no rocks, so the roots begin to go down, they begin to grow, but they also have mixed in in this soil thorns, it says, or weeds, another way to say this. And these weeds grow up with this good seed. And the thorns and the weeds, they draw nutrients away from the good plants. They take some of the sunlight away. They even may grow over a top of the good plant and shield it from getting the sunlight it needs. And eventually, these weeds take over, and they choke out this plant. Similar to rocky hearts, the thorny heart starts off well. They hear the message. They respond to it. You're going to see changes in their life. But then something else, it says, grabs their attention, grabs their heart, grabs their affection. And Jesus lists a few options for what those things could be. He says, first, the deceitfulness of riches. He says, the deceitfulness of riches can choke out good faith. When we hear deceitfulness of riches, we often imagine, you know, some like greedy, billionaire CEO of some mega company or something, or maybe if you're a kid, you, you remember Scrooge McDuck swimming in his pile of money. You remember that? That's what comes to mind when we think of somebody who's deceived by riches. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at, though. I think he's talking to people like you and me. I think he's talking to people like you and me who are never quite satisfied with our station in life, whose, whose car is never quite good enough and is always a model year or two older than we would like, whose house never quite has enough room to satisfy all our needs. People whose, whose vacations aren't nearly as good as our neighbors, and so we feel like we've been slighted in some way, shape, or form. People who see their buddy down the street pull out on Saturday mornings with his boat behind his truck and wish we could do the same thing too. That's what I think Jesus is talking about when he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Because here's the deceitfulness in that. It's the belief that if I could just get a little bit more, I'd be happy. That's the lie. And we believe it all the time, don't we? Jesus says that'll choke out your faith. When you begin to think that that will satisfy you, that will bring you joy, you're in danger of having your faith choked out. Jesus says also our desire for other things, he says. This is any, he's, he's brought, I think, on purpose because any number of things we have a tendency to put over and above Jesus in our lives, don't we? I've seen people do it with relationships, a single person who's been single for a long time, and they find somebody who's not a Christian, but they're willing to give them the attention they're looking for, they're willing to compromise it all for this person. I've seen guys compromise their faith in Jesus for hunting season, because you only get two days on the weekend to go hunting, and so I'm not coming to church on Sunday morning for four months out of the year, because I, I love just being in the woods that much. I've seen young people do it for acceptance. I mean, you, you, you go the list goes on and on and on, right? Things we're willing to give away our faith for because for whatever reason, we decided in that moment that it's more important than Jesus, more important than the gospel. Jesus goes on to say, he says, what about the cares of this world? He says, the cares of this world have a way of choking out faith. That's a big category too. There's a lot of cares in this world, aren't there? My wife and I once calculated that she spends more than two hours per day in the car taking our three kids to and from their various schools. It's a lot. It's just stressful. You, you wives out there, women, moms, you, you have to do that. You got to work your job too. You got to put dinner on the table. You got to get the laundry folded. 
right? Heaven forbid you have one minute to yourself. That's too much to ask. There's a lot of cares in this world that drown out your lives. Men have our fair share of pressures too, don't we? We've got jobs we want to provide. We've got pressure at work. The yard needs to be mowed. Listen, y'all's yard needs to be mowed. The sun's coming back out. All y'all, listen. Washer and dryer have got to be fixed. Garage needs to be cleaned. On and on and on. Bills need to be paid. You need to file your taxes too, just an FYI, that's coming. I mean, I'm I'm stressing some of y'all out right now with real life things that y'all really need to be doing. There's a lot of cares in this world, amen? None of these are bad things. Jobs aren't bad things. Parenting isn't a bad thing. Being a mom, being a dad, these are great things, godly things, good things that we should do to the best of our ability. But a lot of times they become the only things that we focus on. And when these good things become the only things, they become deadly things to us as they choke out our faith and we don't have any room in our heart or in our mind for Christ. They can keep us from watering the soil of our hearts and eventually kill our faith. A while back, my wife and I bought a home from some retirees who were exceptional gardeners. We were telling our small group about this the other night and how beautiful the garden was when we moved in. I mean, it's right out in front, in the front yard. You can't hide it from nobody. I mean, it's right out in the middle of the yard. And this lady was a sweet lady. She had, she had cultivated basil in this corner, and she had mint over here, and then she had a flower section of the garden over here, and she had built these meticulous stone paths so that you could walk between each section of her lovely garden. She even had the little, the little signs in each section letting you know what they were and all the details and facts and like scientific name about them. Who needs the scientific name? But she had it all there. We were pretty proud of it. People, when, they, when we first moved into the house, people would come over and be like, man, it's a beautiful garden. And we yeah, thank you. We take, <laughs> take credit for it. Appreciate it. And we even said we need to make sure we take care of this thing because it probably took a lot of work to get here. Let me tell you what happened the cares of this world, if you will, right? You had soccer practice, you had gymnastics, you got cheerleading, you got the school field trip, you got your jobs, you got all this, you just got stuff to do. And so I was going to do it the first weekend, but I couldn't. And the next weekend we were out of town for something, so I couldn't get to it that weekend. Week three in the house, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, man, I really, I see some weeds popping up in that garden. I got to get out there and take care of that, or we're going to be in trouble. And so I made a note, this weekend, I'm going to get to it. Let me tell you what, one day went by, that thing was overrun, right? I mean, it was just disaster. Now people are walking by looking at our house going, oh, what's wrong with them, right? They're, go- they're going, we need to- do we need to call somebody? Do we need to call the HOA? Do we need to call the police? Are they okay? Look at this garden. It's a disaster. <laughs> I ended up getting a weed whacker and just destroying <laughs> the thing and putting some weed blocker down, covering it with mulch and moving on. Just, uh, just you- sometimes you got to know where you are in life and what you can handle. Let me tell you, church, if the faith in our life is going to grow, we've got to be diligent to, to tend to it, okay? What we cultivate is what will grow, and we've got to be mindful about how we spend our time and our thoughts and our affection. Make sure it's not squeezed out by good things and so we don't miss the best things. Finally, Jesus concludes by talking about fertile hearts. Verse 8, the other seeds, they fell into good uh, soil and they produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. 
Jesus explains in verse 20 that these are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Three keys. Hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This is the good, nutrient-rich soil that gets plenty of water, plenty of sunlight, gets the weeds cleared out, doesn't have rocks underneath, and it's the culmination really, of these other three types of soils that Jesus has explained, he's saying this, is, this doesn't have any of the problems of those three. It's not hard-hearted, not hard soil, so the soil can penetrate. It's not rocky, so it can put down deep roots and grow strong. And it's mindful of the cares of this world, and it pushes past and beyond those so that it can grow. And then it bears fruit. Let me tell you, the fruit is the key. The fruit is the key to knowing if our faith is genuine, if our faith is real. Does it bear fruit? And the answer to the question we started with, if you want to know if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, if you want to know if your heart is good soil, the way to know is is if your life is producing fruit. What is fruit? This is a parable, so it's important, just biblical principle, to not over-dissect the parable. So we'll just say it this way, that fruit is basically evidence of a life changed by Jesus. That's what we would call fruit. You can read about the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians, you can read about this idea of just producing fruit in other parts of the Bible. But it's basically evidence that your life has been changed by Jesus. At our home now, also this home bought from a meticulous gardener. Very frustrating. Um, I haven't quite nuked the gardens yet, but it's coming. But in our, in our home here, we have, we have two orange trees, one in the front yard, one in the back. And the way I know they're orange trees is not because I got a botany degree from Santa Fe Community College. That's a great botany program, by the way. It's not because I got a degree from there. It's not because I researched it on the internet. It's not because I've cut open the, the trunk and seen the root structure or seen the rings and I know how it's growing. You know how I know it's an orange tree? It's growing oranges. And in the same way in our lives, you know how you know you're a Christian? It's because you look like you've been changed by Jesus. And church, our lives must be different or else we haven't met Christ. And there's this big lie that runs throughout the church, that runs throughout the Christian faith that says that if you do the enough right things, if you go to church enough, if you give enough, if you don't curse, if you generally have your life together, or at least just hide the bad parts enough, you're good. The Bible doesn't say that, though. The Bible says you will know a tree by its fruit. And so, church, I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask myself, and this one stings a little bit, but when someone looks at your life, can they tell you're a Christian? If I was just to observe your life for a day, would I see any difference between the way you live and the way a non-believing coworker of yours lives? If I were to go to your work tomorrow and ask, hey, tell me about Bill, would they say, oh, yeah, I mean, his faith is really important to him, and here's why I know that. Or would they say, yeah, he's, he does a good job, just one of the guys. If you handed me my phone or someone handed you someone else's phone, we would scroll through your text messages. We would scroll through your browser history. Are we going to be able to tell that your life is different because you've met Jesus? Or is it going to look like everybody else's phone out there? If you printed out your bank statements and just walked through them with a magnifying glass, would they look any different than your unbelieving neighbor's bank statements? 
Are there priorities reflected in there that aren't reflected in lost people's priorities with their money? What about your calendar? Does it look any different than a lost person's calendar? How are we going to tell? Has the gospel changed you in any meaningful way? Is your, are your affections different? Are your, are your, is your conduct different? Is what matters to you different? Is how you spend your time different? Do you care about people who are far from Jesus? Do you, does your heart desire to worship the Lord? Do you have a hunger to know God and his word? Are we different because of Jesus? If not, the Bible says, beware. You may be rocky soil. You may be thorny soil. You may be hard soil. Church, the person who has a fertile heart, they understand the gospel. They believe the gospel. They find the gospel incomparably beautiful, so much so that they're not distracted and pulled every which way by every shiny thing that comes along. This person is willing to lay down their life for the gospel and is day by day being changed by the gospel. This is the fertile heart. Jesus says, this is who is in. This is who is in the kingdom of God. And so that leads us with a question that we'll close with this morning. This is how do we build a faith that lasts? That's what we want, isn't it, right? I mean, you're here today. You could have been at home. You got up and came to church. So at least some measure of you wants a faith that lasts, wants a faith that's going to have deep roots and it's going to grow strong, who's going to endure the heat of difficulty of life, who's going to not be choked out by the weeds and the cares and the concerns of this world. You want that faith. I want that faith. How do we build it? I submit to you two Old Testament scriptures that give us some keys to this. First, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 says this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Listen to this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The Bible's given us a formula for having deep, deep roots that bear fruit and withstand the heat and pressure of the life. And it says it's not by living your life, by listening to wicked, sinful people. It's not by keeping company with people that are set against the things of God. It's by meditating, it says, on the law of the Lord day and night. That word law of the Lord, is just an Old Testament Bible word, just means the scriptures, so I would submit to you first that if we're going to build a faith at last, that we've got to build deep roots with Scripture. We've got to build deep roots with Scripture. And let me tell you, this is not some silver bullet. I imagine you guys are already tired of me telling you that the Bible is the key. But let me tell you what, the Bible is the key. This, we don't have anything else to offer you. I want to beg you, I want to encourage you to cultivate the habit of spending time in God's Word. I would encourage you to make, make sure that Sunday isn't the only day that your Bible gets open. Cultivate the habit of putting the Scriptures into your heart. It says he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. It means processing, thinking, chewing on it. Find out how you got to do that for you. Everybody's different. I know people that journal their thoughts from Scripture. I know people that like to underline and mark up their Bible. I don't like doing that. It messes things up. But some of you guys like doing that, and that's good for you. I met, I met a person one time that drew, uh, drew she artistic. She would draw out kind of her reflections from the Scripture we read. She's meditating on Scripture doing that. That's awesome. Do that. Memorize chunks of it. Whatever you got to do. 
Whatever you got to do to move God's word from here to here, do it. For the sake of your life, for the sake of your faith, for the sake of your eternity, do it so that we can cultivate good soil, build deep roots with scripture. And I would go a step further and I would say build deep roots in your church. Build deep roots in your church. And here's where I get that from. He says in verses one, verse one of Psalm one, basically says shun bad counsel. That's what he's saying in verse one. Bless the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, blessed are the man who doesn't surround himself by people who are going a different direction than him. And if you want to be a person who makes it to the end, because that's the key, that you make it, that you last. If you want to be that person, surround yourself with people that are running the same direction, right? I know I'm preaching to the choir. Quite literally here, you guys are here, right? Good. Come back next week. It's great. But I want to encourage you to make going all in with your faith family a priority. Be here every Sunday. I would encourage you to find a small group just as soon as humanly possible. Find a small group, gather together. We have groups that meet here on Sunday mornings on our campus. We have groups that meet during the week actually here on our campus. We have groups that meet in homes in our area. There's a group for you. If not, we'll make one, okay? Find a group. Get in that group. Get to know some people. Build a relationship where somebody can say, hey, you need to weed your garden, both spiritually speaking and physically speaking. You need people in your life that are willing to say that, that have permission to say that, that have an opportunity to say that. So cultivate that in your life. Find a small group, get around the word together, and run in the same direction with other people. Second text in the Old Testament I want to point to you as we wrap, I promise, is this, Exodus chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments. Beginning of verse 3. The Lord says, You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting inequity on the fathers of children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Verse 6, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Lord begins the Ten Commandments by saying, hey, listen, don't worship anything else but me. Don't worship anything else but me. The Old Testament calls this idolatry. When we set up idols, when we set up things that are not gods and pretend as if they are. We take things that are not gods and we treat them like they are. And anything that does for your heart what Jesus ought to do for your heart is an idol. And so I want to encourage you to identify the idols in your heart. Identify the idols in your heart. We've talked about a bunch of them earlier. I probably don't have to spend a ton of time on this. You know what they are. You know the things that get you sidetracked. You know the things that get your affection, your attention, your money, your time. What are those things that draw you away from the Lord? Figure out what they are. How do you do this? You ask yourself some questions. If it was taken away, I couldn't live without it. What is that in your life? If it's not Jesus, it's an idol. What is it that gets more of my time, attention, and affection than it deserves? It's an idol. Step one, identify the idols in your heart. Step two, put them to death. Kill them like a weed in your garden that's going to choke out your prized roses that you won some championship with. I think this lady did. Kill those weeds. Yank them out with a ferocious attitude. 
Because they are trying to kill you. They are trying to destroy your faith. Rid those sins from your life. John Owen famously saying, said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Anything that competes with your affection for Jesus has to be struck down. C.S. Lewis talking about idols and our propensity to worship idols instead of the one true God said this. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum but he, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Church, I'm afraid that describes many of us too many days and I'd like to admit it describes me. Happy to settle for these lesser gods, these idols that distract me from the one true God who loves me and has saved me and has promised me an eternity in his kingdom. Church, despite us covering four types of people this morning, there's really only two types of people. Those who are in the kingdom of God and those who are not. Jesus outlines three ways that you can be out. One way that you can be in. The one way that you can be in is wholehearted faith in him and him alone for your salvation. And so more than anything this morning, church, I just want to encourage you to keep going. Just keep going in your faith. Don't give up. When the sun starts beating down on you, don't shrink away. Keep going. When the cares of this world and this life start crowding you in and surrounding you on all sides and make you want to quit, keep going. Because the real ones, the real members of the kingdom of God persevere to the end, bearing fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. Your fruit, the amount of fruit is not what gets you in. It's that you keep going. So this morning, whatever you're facing, let me encourage you to keep going and let me leave you with this word from the Apostle Paul. As he reminds us that whatever we cultivate is what's gonna grow. He says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Verse nine, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for that promise, the promise of the eternal, unfading crown of glory that awaits us if we will not give up. Lord, give us the strength to continue to go, to continue to walk forward, to continue to trust you by faith day by day by day. Would you help us to be a people who plant deep roots in your word so that we would be like people planted by streams of living water who bear fruit in their season? Would you help us to be people that aren't choked out by the cares of this world, by the good things this world has to offer, by the bad things this world has to offer, just the mundane things this world has to offer? Would you help us to keep our hearts and our minds focused on you? Lord, would you guard us? Would you keep us? Would you protect us from the enemy who wants so badly to scoop this seed up, rip it out of the ground? Or would you keep us, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.